Welcome to Prime Video's culture-rated collection. This is the place where Black is the main character, where we don't jump through hoops just to hear our voice and can fall in love with illuminating documentaries like Giannis' The Marvelous Journey. I'm just a hard worker that's trying to survive. Enjoy the animated series, The Second Best Hospital in the Galaxy. All doctors report immediately. Where we dive into something new like the latest season of Them, The Scare, and the award-winning American fiction. Welcome home, baby! Or add to the experience by buying or renting the biopic of a legend, Bob Marley, One Love. I want my music to unify people. And add on channels like Paramount Plus and Stars to bask in nostalgia with Beverly Hills Cop. This is the cleanest police car I've ever been in in my life. And BMF. You're about to take over the whole nation. Explore Prime Video's culture-rated collection and enjoy old-school greats and new-school hits. Prime Video. Find your happy place. Restrictions apply. See Amazon.com slash Amazon Prime for details. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member. For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details. Welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. Gravity Leadership is a community of people seeking to live our lives in the orienting center of God's love in the midst of our post-Christian world, learning to lead like Jesus, live on mission, and make disciples. In nature, gravity is the phenomenon that brings stuff together, objects as small as atoms and quarks, and as large as stars and galaxies. We believe the gravity of the Christian life is the love of God revealed in Jesus Christ. The Gravity Leadership Podcast is curated conversations on what it looks like to practically orient our lives and our leadership in the love of Christ, the gravity that holds everything together. Hey, friends, welcome to the Gravity Leadership Podcast. My name is Ben Hardman. Uh, I'm here this morning in Atlanta, Georgia, uh, and I'm joined by Ben Sternke. Hey, guys. Hey, Ben. I'm, I'm not in Atlanta. Today? I mean, just to be You're clear, no- I'm in a yeah. different city. I'm in Indianapolis. Uh, it's amazing what technology can do, buddy. It's incredible. We're talking. We can talk uh, to each other. Talking we're on the talking. internet. So. We're, we're talking. Yep. We're talking. And we're also joined by my good friend, Chris Mormon. Uh, Chris is the pastor of Capital, Grace Capital City in Washington, D.C. He works with me uh, in the Grace family of churches. Uh, he's an Australian. He is an NBA lover. Uh, he's one of my favorite friends to speak about the NBA. He's one of the three pastors in the world who hasn't sold out to be a Golden State Warriors fan, who's actually stuck with his team. Oh. Uh, we're, we're glad you're here. <laughs> what's, what's your team, Chris? Well, sometimes I think my team is opposing Golden State. Is, Come on! my team. <laughs> Whoever's playing Golden State. Yeah, I'm, I'm like the, the antithesis of a bandwagon person. Like I, I just run the other way. Um, why I, love you know, I, I, I lived in Atlanta for seven years. I was a Hawks fan, but I think I'm really drifting over to the Wizards now. They got a good, some good point guards and good team. They just picked up Dwight Howard. You know, he can still bowl a little bit. Mm-hmm. So. No, mm-hmm. buddy, no one, no one will fault you for not being a Hawks fan right now. Yeah, well, I'm just switching from one mediocre team to another mediocre team. 
No, the Hawks are beyond mediocre now. They are, <laughs> they are, they are, they are giving away tickets to whoever wants them. That's it's sad, begging, isn't it? Begging people to come to games. <laughs> when I was a Hawks fan, they were mediocre. Yeah. Firmly lodged in the middle. Now they're near the bottom. The Wizards are a pretty good, solid, mediocre team, though, in the NBA, I think. Yeah. So, hey, happy to be with you guys. Thanks for thanks for having me on your show. Yeah. Hey, today we want to spend some time talking about uh, discipling millennials. Uh, and I like I recognize all the challenges in just even naming that. I feel a little uncomfortable even saying that. <laughs> yeah, that's what uh, I was going to say. Because like, like the last thing millennials want is to be named and, right. and put in a category. Uh, and the last yeah. thing we want to do is do that to like a people group or yeah. like defi- you're defined by the year you were born or all yeah. those kinds of things. It's all a little weird, right, Ben? Right. And there's a lot of millennials that actually listen to the podcast. So they're they're like, oh, you're gonna figure out how to disciple me, huh? So. <laughs> you're gonna talk about me today. <laughs> yeah, you're gonna put me yeah. in a box, right? Uh, but what, so we, anyway. what, we have, what we have been recognizing is is it does feel like there is a challenge for some of the uh, older guys like us. Are we, am I allowed to say that? I think so. Gen I, X, I, we we kind of feel I think old. I'm the, I think I'm the oldest, right? Are you are older you? than me, Snooky? I'm 43. So am I, buddy. Okay, but you turned forty three in May. December thirtieth. December thirtieth. You turned so yeah. you turned forty four this year. Okay, I turned forty four. Yeah, this I was year, born so in seventy five. So you're oldest. You're the oldest on the That's call. That's what I thought. That's what I thought. So old guys like me are are trying to figure <laughs> this stuff out. Yeah. Uh, and and we we do hear a lot from uh, from leaders about how how do I disciple my young people and and how do we make disciples when it does feel like there's a bit of a of a generational gap. So Chris, you're, you're leading a really young church, uh, in Washington, DC. Um, I'd love to just hear a little bit about your context, a little bit how you, about how you got there. Uh, and then I'd love to dive into talking about, you know, how, how do we make disciples of, of younger folks? Yeah, sure. Um, so yeah, we're Grace Capital City, Washington, DC. Um, we planted our church two years ago, so we're a little over two years old, and we're kind of right in the heart of D.C. We, we wanted to plant um, near some of the big universities. I, I have a bit of a background in college ministry in Atlanta, and so I have a real passion for reaching students. And when we got to D.C., we, we did end up planting near some of the universities, and we, we have a good amount of uh, students. But what we, what we learned is that D.C. is run by millennials, and it's kind of an interesting thing to say because you don't see them necessarily. They're not the ones on C-SPAN or CNN or, you know, they're not, they're not in the power positions, but they're doing pretty much everything else. So millennials, for the most part, are flocking to D.C. because they have a vision to be involved in something. They want to work on the Hill. They want to work in the nonprofit sector um, coming from all over the country, really all over the world. And they're earning minimal money, sleeping five to a room. DC's a crazy expensive city, but most people probably know that. And they're like the engine of the city. They're the ones actually doing the work, getting stuff done. And so, you know, in ministry in that context, what we began to realize is that, yeah, there is an opportunity to reach students, but it really was millennials that were kind of presenting the biggest opportunity. And so I I would say, you know, our church is probably 80% ages 18 to 30. I think that, and that might even be 90%, you know, but it's a really young church. So we have a lot of people, it's very transient. A lot of uh, people in that kind of age bracket uh, coming into DC for a year or two years or three years at the most. And they're doing their, what they call their DC time, 
you know, I'm, 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 I'm building up my resume. I'm working yeah. on the hill. I'm doing what I need to do. And then I'm moving back to my real life, which we, we challenge that idea of real life a lot. But, hmm. um, hmm. yeah, so that, that's kind of the context where we're at. Um, it's a fun city. It's everyone works way too hard. Um, but there's a lot of energy and it's a really inspiring place to be. I, I love DC. I've really grown to, it's kind of gotten under my skin in a way, which is fun. Yeah, that, that uh, for me anyway, it brings up uh, one of the questions that I actually get a lot from people is they, they'll talk about their context and they, they talk about that word transient. And so it, it, sometimes it's a college context or like, I, I've only got people for three years, basically, you know, or four years max. Um, and uh, they sort of, they, they wonder about the... Um, uh, what's the word? Uh, they wonder about the the possibilities, I guess, of discipleship in the way of Jesus. You know, if Jesus had th- these guys that literally followed him around for three years, right? Uh, and he had sort of almost full access to their lives. Like, how do we do discipleship in such a transient culture where you, you've only got people for a certain amount of time? And like you said, in DC, they're working like crazy. So, I, you know, how often do they show up to church? Maybe once or twice a month, you know, like... Uh, how, how do you get them into small groups when they got to drive across yeah. the city to get to a house and everybody's house is too small? Like, I don't know, like that, that feels like it would be a challenging environment if what you've heard about discipleship is you need lots of time with people. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, it definitely is. Um, I think, um, I think there's a, like a mind set shift that needed to happen in me where I began to realize and try to value the time we have instead of kind of pining for more time, if that makes sense. Totally. Um, as a church planner, it's like, it can be frustrating because you feel like you're like gaining ground, building the church, doing all these things we're supposed to do. And then it's like, Oh yeah, 30% of my congregation just left, you know, um, start again. Your best leaders are moving on all the time. But then from a, from a real kingdom perspective, it, it presents incredible opportunities as well, right? It's, it's um, getting to disciple people that are involved in um, really inspiring areas of government and work and city. So I, I think we've, we've, we've had to be creative when it, when it comes to the, the timeline thing and, and working within people's schedules. We, we do a lot of our discipleship right now at 6.30 in the morning, mm-hmm. and that's just because we learned that D.C. is a morning city. It's like um, people people don't want to stay out late, but they will they will get up early for the most part. So that's part of it, and and then trying to maximize the time you have them, you know. So I mean, we're, we're trying to create vehicles and structures that are easy for people to come in, even if um, they're only here for a year. So sometimes that means you have to sacrifice a little bit of the kind of organic ideal flavor of discipleship where it's like, man, I would love this just to be life on life. We're just doing stuff together and eating meals together. And it's like, yeah, that's great. But we're only here for a year and I don't really even have time to build that relationship. Is there something I can just kind of, is there like a train that's moving? I can jump in on for a while. And Mm. there's part of my flesh that like, is like, Oh, it feels too programmatic. It feels too structured. But Mm. I think in a city like this, you actually need a bit of that. People need a sense of like, I can be here. It's going to be valuable. Yeah, I am going to grow. Yeah, um, and so creating those structures, I think, has been life giving hmm. overall to a to a church in our kind of environments. Yeah, yeah, like the the uh, the threat there or the temptation is that the ideal right would cancel out any 
opportunity to to do something because yeah. you're pining for man i wish i had more yeah. time you know that kind of thing I, i'm reminded of um uh, i heard i heard dallas willard one time talk about he was talking with uh i can't remember what what the context was but talking with um some leaders and uh basically just said you know i i know a lot of pastors who uh, get frustrated about the people who aren't in the room, mm. and they miss the opportunity. You know who's who's gone or who's you know yeah. that, that kind of yeah. that. That's what they notice when they get up to preach or whatever. And yeah. he said, uh, and they miss the opportunity that there are people in the room. Mm-hmm. Like talk to them, talk to the people <laughs> yeah. in the room. Don't that's talk good. to the people or be frustrated about the ones who aren't in the room. I remember that like it changed my perspective so much. I hear a little of that yeah. in what you're saying, like. This is the way this city is. I can't change it. We can't go back to an agrarian economy or something like. Yeah. So how do we work with reality as we have it here? Yeah, I I think one of the big things I'll say at church a lot is is just this idea that it's worth it because that that's one of the lies of the city is I'm only here for this amount of time, so it's not worth it. There's nothing to be gained, hmm. and even this real life idea. My real life starts when you know. I mean, you guys, yeah. we encounter that in every context, but. Sure. There's a lot of that, you know, I'll, I'll get serious about my faith or I'll start taking steps to, to grow and be formed when my real life starts. Like, this is, this is it. This is your real life. That's and good. whether you're here for six months or whether you're here for six years, like God has something for you right now. And with actually the people that are hungry for it and that are willing to dive in with everything, in my experience, they really do. They, they get a lot out of it. You know, it's yeah. like you will receive back what you're willing to put in. So yeah, but you have to keep challenging that. This yeah. is worth it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's a continual invitation to to keep jumping in and keep being a part of it. Yeah. Chris, I wonder what are the what are we were just talking kind of prior to this about? Uh, we've got a we've got a residency program at Grace where we invite a bunch of young people in, and we just brought in kind of a new crop of leaders that we're investing in throughout the year, and and we were just sharing stories of. Uh, interviews and those types of things uh, where there were there was some interesting uh, kind of millennial moments. Uh, I I was I was uh, I kind of stopped my interviews a couple different times just to help people, just to kind of be like, hey, uh, maybe don't say that in an interview, or maybe don't maybe <laughs> maybe don't them. maybe the first text you send me shouldn't be a meme or. or <laughs> those kinds of things. Save uh, that for text number, you know, five or six. Like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, at, right. at least, at least five or six. Uh, <laughs> so what, uh, what are some of the challenges that you face just in kind of leading millennials and walking beside them? Um, yeah. What are yeah. Some of the ways in which you kind of challenge and invite? Yeah, no, that's good. Um, yeah. And it's like anything, right? Every challenge has an opportunity. So it's, it's always, it's always yeah. like two sides to the coin. Like with millennials, there's challenge and there's opportunity. So I think in my mind, it's always helpful to try and look at both. So I, I mean, there's, there's, there's a bunch of things I, I could say, like I had this, um, someone say this to me once and I thought this was really profound. Um, it's actually a friend of mine from Australia. She said, she said, you know, um, so the church always wants to talk about what's true, but the culture is searching for what's beautiful. Hmm. And I thought, wow, that is a really interesting insight. Now, in, from a church perspective, we're like, well, we got to be careful because we don't want to lose what's true, which is absolutely true, right? That's right. We don't want to lose what's true. Sure. But when we forget that we live in a world where millennials especially are, li- are looking for what is beautiful. So you think about... 
this kind of return back to conversations around social justice and racial reconciliation and oppression, all these things that are so central to the kingdom of God. These are beautiful parts of the kingdom mm. of God, beautiful parts of our discipleship, beautiful stories that Jesus was the one who's lifted the oppressed, that spoke a better word, right? And um, so I, what I've learned is that while sometimes in kind of a, a postmodern kind of perspective, it can be hard to give like, People have a hard time with what's true. If you can frame it in a better narrative, a better story of what is beautiful, then people are actually more ready to receive what is true. So to me, that's always been a challenge and an opportunity in, in how I teach and try to frame the journey, the story, the, the big picture of what God's doing on the earth, you know. Mm. Um, I think, um, yeah, I mean, I, I and this is one of the classic stereotypes but i think there's some truth in it as well and maybe this even plays into kind of what i said before but this idea of options <laughs> i've heard millennials described as the options generation right. it's like I, I need options i need to know what, what's available to me that that's challenging hmm. and so if if part of our discipleship can look like learning to teach people to make decisions and to own them hmm. and to and to follow through you know that there's, there's beauty in Walking with a community, even when it's it's totally unsexy, and 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 the thrill of the honeymoon has worn off, and mm. real life, like we have to frame things um, in the you know, it may not feel as exciting as it did, but this is not how we actually grow, right? We're not just looking for options; we're actually looking for growth and transformation. Mm. So I think that's been a big one. Um, what one one of the big things I've I've learned about millennials when it comes to um, church and trying to get them involved in community and things like that is that millennials are deeply suspicious in general. And of course we're just generalizing here, but right. millennials in general are deeply suspicious of overt strategy and highly intuitive of culture. Yes. And high, they have a, uh, an amazing BS meter. Oh, it's off the charts. I was just about yeah. to say the same thing. That it's off yeah. the charts. It's like they can sniff a fake better than anyone. They're like yes. looking for it. So if something feels too like, man, I don't know, I feel like I'm being played here. They they're out. You know, they're looking yeah. for the real thing. Yep. And what I've found is it's actually not about form and style. So I know some churches are like, well, that means we need to go right back to these things. Like, well, maybe. But there can be authenticity in a multiple variety of forms and structures. Yeah. What they're really looking for is, do I trust these people? Yeah. Um, and what do I, I mean, when I say culture, I know there's a lot of ways we could define that, but they, they just have this intuition. It's like, I can sniff it. What do I feel when I walk in the room? Does it feel real? Does it feel authentic? So focusing on that in leadership and, and being more, selective about like how we bring out our strategic goals and our mission statements and, and weaving that into more of a narrative versus like, here's how we're going to conquer the world. You know, I, I think millennials are kind of like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Yeah. Yeah, totally. They, they yeah. get suspicious of that. I think. Yeah. That, maybe, we, maybe we all should be a little more suspicious of we're going to conquer the world. Right. Right. Maybe <laughs> there's something for us to learn there. Right. Maybe. I tried yeah. that week one. It didn't go over well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> We're Grace Capital City, mission statement. We've got to conquer the world. <laughs> yeah. What's up now? Taking the city for Jesus. <laughs> anyway. Well, actually. <laughs> yeah. 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 But uh, yeah, I hear you. That, that kind of language uh, doesn't resonate. And I, 
like I think the the thing part of the thing I like about this conversation is not just it, for me it's not just a pragmatic issue like like oh these yeah. millennials they're so weird how do we you no, know no, minister no. to them or how do we adapt you know to them but there's actually a prophetic uh, in a lot of in a lot of what we're hearing from the younger generation I think there's a prophetic critique of the ways that we've misused power yeah and that's inherent in what like that's why their bs meter is so high is just they've been fed bs yeah. for so long that they're like mm-hmm. no more of this Right, and that's a prophetic critique to those of us who are like, nah, I could take a little more, <laughs> you know, like, or I could give a little more, or I could, you know, like. So I, I think there's a prophetic critique in there too that where sure. where we're like, we have something to learn from yeah. the way that um, this younger generation sees the world. Yes, you know, there's something there for us. I think so. Yeah, I'm reminded, you know, when you talked about beauty, they were looking for for beauty. Um, I'm reminded of uh, N.T. Wright's book, Simply Christian. And he, he writes a book every other week, uh, so it's hard to keep track of them all. But no, this was... All. Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, like all of us pastors. Yeah. Um, but but um, I remember the first uh, section of that book. It's kind of a modern-day apologetic for faith. Um, and, and if you're interested in, like, I think a modern-day apologetic for, for the Christian faith that I think actually works for millennials... Because I think our apologetics are are mostly like, how do you know what's true, or how can we know that the Bible is real? You know, like, how, and we go about trying to prove that, and that to me feels like this younger generation, like they don't even ask that question. They're not, they don't even care. Like, why would I care if the Bible's true? <laughs> you know, like that's the wrong starting point. But uh, N.T. Wright in this book, he starts with um, basically like these. Uh, universal human longings that we all have. And he names them as, um, how does he name them? He names them as justice. Like we long for justice, like that things would be made right, right? That things would be fair. Like people long for justice. You you mentioned that a little bit, um, that I think the younger generation does. Um, We long for some, some sort of transcendence or spirituality, we long for some some sort of connection to the divine or or some spiritual connection that goes beyond just you know the fact that we're physical like the animals. Uh, we long for community. We're longing for some sort of um, you know some sort of community where we can belong, right? A meaningful belonging and community. And the fourth thing he talks about is beauty, where he says we we're all longing for beauty. And then the rest of the book basically says, here's how Christianity answers those longings. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. Um, so anyway, so I, I heard a little bit of that, you know, in, in what you were talking about, of saying like it's not that we're sacrificing truth; we're just realizing that beauty can tell us the truth too. Yeah. Right. That's right. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. That's fascinating. Which, which makes um, you know narrative and art and things like that so much more important, yeah. doesn't it? Right. Right. It's not just an addendum. It's not just pretty coloring for the windows so that you, the young people want to come in, right? Mm-hmm. No, it tells us the truth in a way that like didactic propositional statements can't. Yeah. It tells us a, a, a truth that we can't hear in any other way. Yeah. yeah. There, and, and I think, you know, kind of what plays into this conversation too is we, we've spent some time on the podcast talking a little bit about how do we disciple people who aren't like us? So right. how do I as an apostle prophet, uh, you know, disciple a 
pastor, teacher, or a shepherd? You know, what, what does that look like? The same thing is true when we get into generational kind of discipleship. Mm -hmm. Uh, I, I see people that are, that are really confused about how do I step into kind of a spiritual father role with somebody that's older than me, or how do I operate as like an older brother or, you know, kind of what, what did, how do I operate in those spaces? Um, Chris, do you have any stories from your community of just how some folks in your community have loved well mm. and kind of um, discipled well, invited uh, kind of some of the millennials or younger folks in your community into their life well? Yeah, yeah. No, that's that's really good. I think um, w- w- one thing I've, I've been learning, and this is a challenge for us as a church, is that millennials, at least in my experience, they're not looking for a millennial church, mm-hmm. but, but they are drawn to it. So it's, it's kind of like this, the best and worst. So they, they come to it because it's like, oh, there's people like me. I can find community with people who are same stage. So we keep having more and more come, but then they get there and they don't want it to just be millennials. They, they, want, they want a wider demographic. They want a fuller representation of the kingdom of God. And so we, we, we have a handful of families we're praying for more, but it's like what I think our families represent to them is it's almost like a, like an anchoring point in the midst of the turmoil of their lives a lot of times. So like, like everyone, millennials are, you know, they're in the church and they're feeling a conviction and growth of Jesus and the work of the Holy spirit in their lives, but then they're, they're going to happy hour and, and sometimes their lives are crossing boundaries that they feel then a conviction, you know what I mean? They, they, they're just living in the to and fro that everyone does, um, working really hard, feeling a lot of pressure, pressure to make money, pressure to advance their careers, pressure to find a spouse at some stage, all these kind of things. And what we've found, I think for me and Jessica is this is my wife is Jessica. We, um, we found that our presence can offer some of that grounding can offer some of that anchoring. Yeah. And while it doesn't mean we can have people over for dinner seven nights a week, you know, it does mean we can be intentional in our conversations and intentional about the perspective on life that we can offer people because it is a very, it's a very in the moment, what I'm doing right now, the thing I'm facing right now is everything and it's earth shattering. And sometimes you just need someone with even just 10 years more experience to sit down and say, Hey, this is okay. Let's go a little slower you're still going to be here tomorrow and you're still going to be here a week after that. And we can keep working through this, you know? So I think that's been really valuable. We have some um, incredible families and, um, and I say what, one of the reasons we're praying for more is because we have so many millennials that are just looking to them and saying, Hey, can I just come and be in your space? Can I babysit Mm -hmm. for you? I mean, we we do not have a hard time finding sit-ins. That's an incredible gift. They they really want to be around we need to do a so, second podcast on on that. Like, how do you yeah. create a situation where you don't need babysitters? Yeah, yes. yeah, awesome. I'm a, I, I can ship some of them over to Atlanta and <laughs> Indianapolis. And that's helpful. Excellent. Um, Send them to our house. Excellent. We we have a long list of sitters, and that's not just true of us. That's true of all the families that have young kids at our church. And and I think part of it is yes, they want to serve, they want to be, they want to help, but they want to be around. They want to be in our house yes. and feel a sense of stability. Yeah. And that everything's okay. And sometimes we've found the best nurture of them is just just come and be in my house for a few hours. 
Yeah. Be with my three-year-old son. He'll give you some perspective because he does not care about what's going on on the <laughs> right. hill right now. Trust me. Right. Right. <laughs> it's all about trucks and Spider-Man for him. Um, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, we, we hear that story all the time. We, we have um, just a handful of people that I would say are even in the next stage up from where, where we're all at. You know, they're, they're past the young kids stage. They're kind of into that almost empty nest um, kind of stage. And, and for them, I mean, they are just looked to as like the sages of the faith, you know, please <laughs> yeah. can I be around you. So there really is a beautiful opportunity for that cross-generational ministry. And we, we start to see how one, one generation can really bless the next. And, and at the same time, I think millennials bring such a, a vision and a passion. They really do have a sense that anything's possible. And, and I need that. Mm. Yeah. <laughs> we all need that. You know? Yeah. Totally. That for yes. me that brings up uh, brings up a, another question. Um, you know, I, one of the axioms that we talk about in our coaching uh, is that whatever God does through you, He's also going to do in you. Mm-hmm. And so, and that just speaks to the the coherence and the integration of our of our spiritual life, right? That leadership sure. isn't something that I'm doing to people. It's not a technique I perform on people. It's a it's a person I am among people. It's, yeah. it's you know, not a way good. to control. Right. It's not a way to control others or get a result necessarily. It's a way of being with people. And so whatever God is doing through me, he's also doing in me. And the situation of leadership that I have is always going to be the location of my own spiritual growth you know, and, and formation. So I wonder if you could speak to that a little bit. Like what has um, being in D.C. Uh, and, and pastoring a church... Uh, that's 80% 30 and younger, you know, 18 to 30, these young adults, these millennials, like how has that affected your spiritual formation? Like what have you had to learn and grow into mm. yourself rather than just like what, have, what, what new leadership uh, posture do I need to take toward others? But like what has God done in you since you've been in this situation of pastoring yeah. this church? No, that's great. That's a great question. Um and, and the thing that comes to mind isn't just uniquely for millennials, although it, in my context, it's certainly part of it, but sure. I think it is, it is pretty um, highlighted in a city like DC. The first thing that really comes to mind is kind of what I said before. I think it's the, the gift of, of perspective and consistency and even slowness maybe Hmm. And I say that, and, and there's not much about church planting that's slow. I, I'm a apostle pastor, so I, I I like to I like to move fast and get things moving fast and all that. But in a highly polarized environment, so I mean, just to give you perspective, we, we've got people in our church that are reporters for CNN, and we have people that work for the Trump administration. So yeah. you know, I mean, on the on the surface, they should be right. Do <laughs> enemies, fights break out? Right? Do fights break yeah, out yeah, and we got people that work for Democrats. <laughs> we got people that work for Republicans. We yeah. got, yeah. you know, a, a pretty broad cross section, and we're constantly forced into tribalism, polarization. Yeah. We're told that the other side is the enemy, mm-hmm. and I've I've just found myself here even more so than previous ministry um, opportunities and, and places. I, I've found I'm I'm slower on what I speak and what I post. And trying to help people find the good and the the truth in each other, hmm. if that makes sense. 
Yeah. And, you know, I, I think especially when you're young, you get into a, a real environment like that and you're straight away told, okay, you demonize the other side, yeah. pushed into your, your corner. We fight for our corner. And so we, a, a phrase we'll use a lot at our church is we, we, we major on the politics of Jesus here. Yeah. And so we do, we leave our earthly politics at the door. We talk about the politics of Jesus and the politics of Jesus will critique the left and it will critique the right. You know, it'll, it'll draw out, um, all our tribalism and, and, and that's what Jesus did again and again, you know? So mm. I, I find that if I'm talking to someone and they're having a real issue with um, you know, something I've said, or maybe something someone else in our community has said, it's an opportunity for me to help them to see that, that, that God is way bigger than our earthly politics. And I think even the gift of age, I mean, would be, we, we've all been around men and women who are in their eighties or even their nineties and the way they see life, it's like, they're just looking at it from a bird's eye view. Sometimes they're like, I just, I see it so much more broadly. Mm. Um, whereas the younger we are, I think we see the trees a little bit more than the forest, you know? Yeah. So I feel like that's been something I've, I've tried to learn a lot and something I'm still learning. I still say things sometimes and I'm like, Whoa, okay. I could have said that a lot better. Yeah. Um, and I realize I've offended people and not that offense, there needs to be offense at certain times, but it needs sure. to be the right kind of offense yeah. and it needs to be passed in the right way. Yes. Um, so yeah, I think that I, I think I'm, I'm learning the gift of taking a step back and helping my people, helping the congregation together see like, Hey, we can hold these things in tension and we can, as mm-hmm. say, if you're someone who identifies as more of a liberal minded person, you can learn from conservatives. There's much to be learned here. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, I always say that Jesus um, he, he, his, his harshest rebukes were never for those who got it wrong. They were always for safe for those who thought they got it right. Yeah. And you know, he, he was never, he was never harshest on the one that made a total mistake and blew it all. He was harshest with the ones for the Pharisees and, you know, the, the yeah. teachers of the law, you know, the people who refused to sort of tell the truth about themselves or own up to what was really yeah. going on. What was actually happening. Yeah. And Jesus yeah. carried such a non-anxious presence all the time. And yes, not, it's not always the presence that I feel in my heart. You know, there are moments where I feel anxious about the polarization and all the things Absolutely. that are going on. And, and I don't know if, I don't know if I'm like, we coach a lot of pastors and I don't know if we meet a lot of pastors who I sense a really strong, non-anxious presence in. Uh, mm-hmm. And so I think there's real power in that, Chris, of us being able to step back, to slow down, to gain perspective of the kingdom, uh, to see the things that are unseen as well as the things that are seen. You know, sometimes we focus so much on the seen things that we can't see any of the unseen things. And so we don't have any kingdom perspective uh, in any way. So this has been a great conversation, Chris. Uh, Appreciate you, man. Love you. Love what you're doing in D.C. uh, and uh, are continuing to pray for the work that you're doing there. Uh, friends, thanks for being with us uh, with the Gravity Podcast today. Uh, we love you. We appreciate you. Uh, we would love for you to check out what we're doing in uh, coaching and check out our website, gravityleadership.com, if you want some more information about who we are and what we're doing and what's going on in the gravity leadership world. Ben, anything else we need to say? Anything important? I, I don't think so. I don't think so. Well, there's a lot, there's a lot more we could say, but, uh, but right now, for that's, that's probably good enough for now. So it's good enough for we're, now. We're non anxious presence on non-anxious. what we did say. That's right. It's, <laughs> it's no big deal. What we did say. Thanks for having me on, guys. It's been an honor. Yeah, thanks, yeah, Chris. Chris. Good, good to hear. All you're right. the second. You're the second Australian we've had on the podcast. 
Keep them coming. Yeah. Keep them coming. Yeah. I, I enjoy I enjoy listening uh, a, to you speak. So. There's a song written in the eighties <laughs> called called The Great Southland of the Holy Spirit. And I'm, oh. I'm claiming that. <laughs> oh nice. Nice. Is that a Christian song? Must be. Yeah, I think so, yeah. Okay. All right. Well look was, look it up. We'll it put a link to it. It was also in Lord of the notes. Rings. It was in Lord of the Rings also. <laughs> whoa, 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 whoa. Well, That's a different different Southland. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, now you're now you're messing with uh, some local rivalries there, right? Yes, some yes, da- some down under rivalries. <laughs> yeah. All right, all right, guys, we'll uh, we'll catch you next time. Peace. Thanks, guys. Thanks for joining us for this episode of the Gravity Leadership Podcast. If you enjoy learning from this podcast, please be sure to show your support by rating, reviewing, and subscribing on iTunes. Be sure to share with your friends on social media too. And we would love to hear from you. So please email us at podcast at gravityleadership.com. You can join our online community for free at gravityleadership.com slash join. You'll get our latest content delivered straight to your inbox, as well as an email most Fridays with curated links to articles we found interesting or helpful. To join us, go to gravityleadership.com slash join. You know how to book flights and hotels. All you're missing is a tool to plan the travel experiences you'll have once you arrive. That's why you need Viator. Book guided tours, activities, excursions, and more in one place to make your trip truly unforgettable. Viator has over 300,000 travel experiences to choose from. Everything from simple tours to extreme adventures and all the niche, interesting stuff in between. So you can plan something that everyone you're traveling with will enjoy. Real traveler reviews give the inside scoop from people who've already been on the experiences you're considering. So you can plan with confidence. Free cancellation helps you plan for the unexpected. And 24-7 customer support means you can travel worry-free. Download the Viator app now and use code Viator10 for 10% off your first booking in the app. Find travel experiences for you. Do more with Viator. Sick of being upsold at gyms? My guy, you're currently a base member? For $90 more, I can upgrade you to our Shred membership. For $130 more, you'll be a swole member. And for just $300 more, you'll reach Sweat Platinum. At Planet Fitness, you'll get energy without the upsell. Never pushy, always free fitness training and equipment for every workout. It's fitness that fits your budget. Join Planet Fitness for just $1 down and $10 a month. Cancel anytime. Deal ends Friday, May 10th. See Home Club for details.